Hey, it's Pastor Tim. Thank you for listening. I pray this message inspires you to live a life engaged in Jesus Christ. Welcome home. So, Cowboys fans, when I was a kid, I was a very diehard, toxic Cowboys fan. If you're a fan of any other team in, in the NFL, you, everyone in the nation basically hates Cowboys fans. They love to see us in our misery. They love seeing us, seeing the Cowboys lose. And they hate the Cowboys fans because they think the Cowboys fans are the most obnoxious fans in the, in, the, in the nation. And that was me. I was so obnoxious as a kid. And now, now, I've, now I've died down. You know, I'm, I get so used to losing that you, you, just, you just start to lose hope. And it's funny. The other day, this, this, last, this last Sunday, Dallas ex- experienced a very painful, painful loss, and, I, and I, I knew it was coming, too. I knew the whole game it was coming. We were, we were having a good lead, and, and I texted my friend, and I was like, this game is not over. We are going to find a way to lose this game, because I've lost hope in my team, but I still root for them, and uh, I, after we lost, I, I went to McDonald's to, to get some comfort food, <laughs> get, some, get, some, get a McFlurry, and I'm sitting there, in, in, uh, in pain, and I'm just taking a look around at my surroundings, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see Mr. Garcia <laughs> with, with Zion and Manny and Maite in the car, and I'm like, oh, you guys must have come here for the comfort food, too. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, as a kid, I was, I was such a uh, toxic Cowboys fan, and uh, I wanted a Cowboys jersey. And I knew my mom and dad weren't going to spend money on it. So I asked my sister. My, uh, she's in college at this time. And I'm about 10, 11 years old, I think, at this point. And I, I still don't really have the, uh, does this work now? Oh, okay. I still don't have a complete understanding of how money works. And so I think everyone just, once you're an adult, you have a lot of money. So I start pestering my sister to get me a Cowboys jersey. And one day we were walking through Times Square and we stopped at a sporting goods shop because she thought, okay, maybe, maybe I'll look into getting you a Cowboys jersey. And, and we looked and we found one and it was the one I wanted. It was my favorite player, Des Bryant at the time. And I wanted this jersey so bad and it was there. And she looked at it, but then she looked at the price tag and, and jerseys are expensive, they're, they're 100 bucks. 
And so she's like, no, I can't get this. And, I, and I'm like, what? You have to get this for me. And so I'm begging her. And she's like, how about I get you, like, a T-shirt? It, it, had, the, it had his name on the back and the numbers, but it was a T-shirt, not, a, not an actual jersey. And I was like, no, I got to have the real thing. I want the jersey. And she didn't get it for me. And so then the whole rest of the time we were exploring through Times Square, I just was so petty and so upset at her. And we, did, we went and did some cool things, but I chose to be upset about it. And uh, yeah, so I, I bugged her and bugged her about getting me the jersey. And then after some time, I just kind of gave up because I was like, oh, I'll probably just have to save up some money, some birthday money, and, and get it for myself sometime. So I kind of let it go. And then I think a, f a little while, bef either before my birthday or before Christmas, I don't remember, uh, I got a package in the mail for my sister. And it was a Cowboys jersey. And it, was the, it wasn't exactly the player that I wanted, but it was a good player. And it was, it was, it was the color scheme, the, the certain color scheme, their throwback jerseys. It was the one I wanted. And my sister was like, here's your Cowboys jersey. Now you can stop pestering me. And so my pestering, I guess, paid off. I knew my sister was the one who could do it for me. And she did after a whole bunch of asking. And that story reminds me of our prayer lives. When you come to God asking for something, how pers persistent, how earnest are you in your prayers? And how do you expect them to answer? You know, we hope that as long as our prayers are, are very heartfelt, very earnest, that God's going to answer our requests immediately and in the way we asked it, right, right on time. But is that the point? Are we supposed to be earnest in our prayers because, <clears throat> because we think it gives us the right to have what we want? In the Bible, you see God answer prayers in so many different ways, so many cool and miraculous ways. But it's, it's always, it's, it's unique, it's different, and it's, it's on a different timetable than, than the people expected. And in the story that we're going to look at today, Elisha and the Shunammite women... God answers two prayers. And I'll be honest, I wrestled with this. I had to give pastor an outline on Monday. And what I have now is not the outline that I gave him on Monday. <laughs> like, I, and he, he encouraged me to, like, dig deeper. And so I did. And so there were just so many things that just didn't make sense. And one of the things that didn't make sense to me was the fact that Elisha sends Gehazi to use uh, spoiler alert, he uses Gehazi to use a staff to raise the child, and that doesn't work. And then Elisha does something weird that initially doesn't work. And the whole time I'm trying to figure out, what is the meaning behind this? Why are they, why, why use this stick? Like, I was so fixated on this. And through the days, I started to understand that it's not about the stick, it's actually about our need for God. So earnest prayer, it reveals to you just how much you need God. And it does this when your earnest prayer makes you confident in God's power. When your earnest prayer is uninterrupted by the half-hearted people, the doubters. And when your earnest prayer makes you leave everything in God's hands. When you do all that, then you will realize just how much you need God. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, as I break your bread today, speak through me. These are your words, and, and I thank you so much for showing me this message, and I pray, pray that you'll make it clear to everyone listening here today. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Elisha has basically gotten into his prophetic ministry groove at this point. And uh, he's, he's gotten the mantle. Everyone is starting to respect him as a prophet. And the Bible says in verse 8, that it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman. And she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So we meet this new character in Elisha's life, this Shunammite woman. And this woman, the Bible says she was a notable woman. And I think it's because of her hospitality. She had this heart full of love and care for other people. And so whenever Elisha would pass by her house, he knew that this woman was going to give him a little fuel for his journey, a little, a little food, a little snack. <clears throat> and after some time goes by, this woman, it says that she turns to her husband and says, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us make a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So not only does this woman want to feed Elisha, she wants to give him a little, little room for him to, to sleep, take some rest. Even if he needs to, study the Bible. He has a chair and a desk. Just a nice little setup, a home away from home for Elisha. You can see the kindness of this woman's heart. Verse 11 says, It happened one day that he came there, Elisha, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And so he's in the room, and he's thinking, man, this woman is so kind. I think we need to bless her. I want to show her my gratitude. So he calls to Gehazi, his servant, and he tells him to call the Shunammite woman. And he tells her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? You've been so kind to us. I want to do something for you. What do you need? Do you want me to speak on behalf of on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? I, I, know, some, I know some people in the high up places who can give you, give you something that you need. They, they have, I have their respect and they have my respect. So I, I can give you something. I'm your, I'm your middle man here. But this is what she says. I dwell among my own people. She's like, I'm fine, Elisha. I, I'm not doing any of this because I'm trying to get something from you. I simply just want to, I want to be kindness. I know you're a man of God. I just want to show you some kindness. I'm fine with everything that I have. But Elisha knows that there's something, there's something that he can give this woman. He's deeply impressed that there's something that can be done. So he turns to Gehazi and uh, what, what can I do for her, Gehazi? Gehazi answers and said, you know, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. You know, you could, you could give her a son. 
And immediately, Elisha's like, yes, that's it. See, in this culture, it's, it's nice to have children, right? It's, it's a really big deal to have children, especially a son, because the son carries the seed, carries the generation. So to not have one kind of kills off the, the seed. So it's nice to have a son. So Elisha knows this is something that can be done. But this woman is old, her husband is old. He tells her, this time next year, you will have a son. And the woman says, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. She doesn't believe that this is possible. She's too old. Her husband is too old. This isn't the first time this happens, right? Man, seems like, seems like there's a lot of repetition here. We have Sarah does the same thing. Zachariah doesn't believe that John the Baptist would come from him. So same, same situation, right? Someone doesn't believe that they can have a child because of their age. It's, it's too impossible. But Elisha says, for sure, you are going to have a son this time next year. There's no doubt about it. Not trying to rationalize here. God can do the impossible. How many times have you tried to rationalize prayer requests? How many times have you tried to make sense of a situation to see if it was possible for anything to actually be done? I was talking to my mom about this, and she, she's telling me as a nurse, it's, it's really easy to, to do that. If somebody comes up to her and asks, like, hey, I'm not doing too well. I need prayer for healing, and she knows they're diabetic. Immediately, her thought process is, you know, she goes to rationalize what actually can be done for this person's healing. Like, maybe you should cut down your sugar intake, or maybe you should take your meds. You'll be fine. Right? We, we, tend, to, we tend to rationalize to make sense of, of the situation. So if it doesn't make sense, it's not possible. But Elisha was confident. Elisha doesn't rationalize. He knows that with men, it might be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He didn't say, oh, no, nah, when, when Gehazi brings up, oh, she doesn't have a son. He doesn't say, oh, no, nah, she's, she's too old. That's not going to work. Immediately, he's like, that's what God is going to give her. He knows what God is capable of. He is confident in God's power. Earnest prayer has to make you confident in God's power. And only then will it reveal to you just how much you need God. So as Elisha said, the woman conceived and she bore a son that very next year. Verse 18 says the child grew and one day he went out to his father and to the reapers. So they're out working, and he says to his father, my head, my head. So the father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And his father just thinks, oh, he's, it's really hot. He's tired. He must be having a headache. Just go let his mother take care of him. He doesn't understand the, the, the really big circumstances here. And so 
When they had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Can you imagine what's going through this woman's head? She spent a couple of years with this child whom she, she obviously wanted a child, but she had dismissed the thought because she thought it was impossible at this point in her life. She's too old. But yet, a miracle happens and she has this child. I'm sure she loved this child so dearly and life is just so good. She's already content with everything that she has and God gives her something even greater. This woman Everything is going spectacularly for her. And now she's lost this child. This child she didn't even ask for. Have you ever gotten something and, and you're so grateful for it? You, you treasure it with everything you have and then all of a sudden it gets taken away and you wish you never even had it in the first place because the pain of the loss is worse than the pain of not even having that in the first place? My mom, before I was born, had two miscarriages. And I don't know if, you, if you've experienced that or if you know someone who's experienced that, but can you imagine, especially the mother's pain when that happens, to, to have this joy inside of you and you're so excited to see your baby and then it's gone. And the loss hurts so much more than if you never even had the kid in the first place. This is what the Shunammite woman is going through. But instead of weeping there and just wondering why all of this is happening, the Bible says in verse 21 that she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. To me, this indicates the thought process of this woman. She knows that this isn't over. She knows there's someone I know who can turn this around, who can give me another miracle. He's already given me a miracle before. He'll do it again. So with that, Verse 22 says, she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And the husband said to her, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. So for some reason, she doesn't tell the husband why? The husband's like, this is, this is weird. Why? You don't need to go see him now. Everything's fine. It's, it's not like a special occasion. And all she says is it is well. And in the Greek, the, the word here is shalom. So literally, she's just saying peace. I'm at peace. And I don't think she's saying it is well because she's trying to hide from everyone the pain that's inside of her heart. You know, so often we come to church and, and, you know, everyone, you go through the preliminaries like, oh, hi, happy Sabbath, how are you? Oh, I'm good, but deep down you're hurting inside. And this woman is hurting, but she's saying it as well because she knows that everything is going to be fine because she's going to the man of God. And so she heads on out. She heads to Mount Carmel. 
And Elisha sees her ways off, and he sends Gehazi to her. And he tells, he tells him to ask her, like, hey, is everything good with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answers Gehazi and says the same thing. It is well. I think there is a reason that she doesn't tell her husband or Gehazi what was going on. She believed with everything in her that only Elisha, the man of God, could do this for her. If she took it to her husband, he might have told her, don't bother with it. That's a long journey. The child is dead. What good is it going to do? And maybe she just felt like Gehazi wasn't, wasn't the right guy. Like he, he would have said the same thing. Like, oh, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. The child is dead. She only trusted Elisha. She didn't have time for, for the negative energy from this man. Like, she didn't have time for it. It, it reminds me of how, go, I'm going to go back to the Cowboys real quick. The first week, first week of the season, I asked Pastor if I could come, come watch the game at his house. So I get there, and uh, Sophie apparently had volleyball practice or something. And so she was going to be a little late to the game. So instead of them coming and, you know, missing the first quarter, they were going to record the game and started from the first quarter when she got back. So we would be like a whole quarter behind the actual game. And I was like, no, I got I to gotta watch this thing live. I, I text people while I'm watching the game, like, did you see that? Or I can't believe this is happening. This ref is so dumb. Like, I, I need the, the live updates. And so I started watching it live on my phone. And, and then Pastor and Sophie got mad. They're like, why are you watching it ahead? You're supposed to wait for us. And then the Cowboys ended losing that game. And they were like, it's your fault. It's because you didn't wait for us to watch the game. You tried to watch it ahead. And you gave us bad luck and the Cowboys lost. And so they, uh, they haven't invited me back since. <laughs> and since then, Cowboys have won seven out of their nine last games. So I don't know, maybe I was the, the negative energy. I'm not, I'm not sure. But yeah, this woman did not have time for the negative energy. So she comes to Elisha. She's in deep distress, and Elisha knows that something's wrong. But he doesn't know what. God hasn't revealed it to him. And so she says to him, Did I ask of a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? It's like, I didn't even ask you for this. I told you, don't lie to me, because I thought it was impossible. And I looked at this, and initially I'm thinking, man, she's, like, coming for Elisha's throat here. Like, you gave me something I didn't even ask for. Why would you do that? I'm sure there was a little bit of that in there. But I think what she was really saying, looking at what she's done so far, right, she's laid the child in... His, in his bed. She doesn't tell her husband. She doesn't tell Gehazi. She comes, and this was a long journey too. From where she was to Mount Carmel, I think geographically this was like 16 miles or something that she traveled, somewhere around there. So this is a long journey, right? She goes all this way, and I don't think she did all of this just to come and attack Elisha. 
I believe what she's saying here is, look, this wasn't my doing. You gave this to me. You're the one who performed the miracle. But now I've lost it. And I know that you are the only one who can do this for me. Elisha immediately understands what's happening. And at first he sends Gehazi to, with the staff to go and, and lay it on the child. But the, the woman says, no, I'm not leaving without you. Like, you have to come. And so Elisha goes with her. And in verse 33, when Elisha comes in there and he sees the child lying on the bed, it says he went in there and shut the door behind the two of them, Gehazi and the, and the Shunammite woman, and he prayed to the Lord. It's interesting. Elisha leaves them out. And I think he does this because there's a possibility that there isn't, there's a little bit of lack of faith in, in maybe Gehazi. And maybe the woman would just be so distressed that it would be distracting. And so Elisha knows that to have a full, complete, earnest prayer, he has to be in there by himself. Otherwise, it may not work. You know, it's crazy that as weak as humans are, you can actually stop God from pouring out his power into your life. You know how? By unbelief. If you look in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, Jesus comes to Nazareth, his hometown, where he grew up in. These are people that he knows, people that have watched him grow up. He comes and he he teaches in the synagogues and he says all these profound things. Amazing things, life-changing things. You know what the people say? Who is this guy? Isn't this, isn't this the carpenter Joseph's son? And the Bible says in verse 57 that they were offended at him. They didn't believe that Jesus was it, that he was capable of, of saying such, such things. He's just a carpenter's a carpenter's son. And verse 58 says that Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of what? Their unbelief. Jesus, it's not that Jesus didn't want to perform miracles. He actually couldn't do miracles in that town because of their unbelief. See, earnest prayer has to be uninterrupted by the half-hearted, by the doubters, by the skeptics, by the people who can be distracting. Now, how many times have you heard someone tell you, it's not worth it, it's, it's not possible, just, just leave it alone, there's nothing you can do about it, you know, it's, there's, there's no hope. How many of you are that person that thinks that way? You have to close the door on these people, unfortunately, because they get in the way of our earnest prayers. 
It has to be uninterrupted by the half-hearted. And only then will you be able to see just how much you need God. So this is the part of the story that I really struggled with. So Elisha goes and he sends Gehazi with the staff and he, he tells him to lay it on the child and it doesn't work. And the Bible doesn't really say it's possible that most likely Gehazi didn't have the faith that it would work and that could be why Elisha doesn't let him come into the room. But we don't know for sure. And so then I, I also wonder, why does Elisha even send the staff in the first place? And you look at, look at stories throughout the Bible, there's, there's times where God uses objects to manifest his power, right? He uses Moses' staff, turns into the snake. It, he uses it when he puts plagues on Egypt. He parts the Red Sea with it. And then Elisha, at the start of his ministry, he uses Elijah's mantle to part the Jordan River. Right? And then after Elisha passed away, someone uses Elisha's bones to, to bring another man to life. All these objects. And it's, it's kind of weird because in, like, I know the staff doesn't have power. Right? That's not where the power comes from. There's, it, you, you could literally just put your hand forward and you know, it, it could be done the same way. So why? And then something even weirder happens. Although it is weird because of our culture now, but maybe it wasn't as weird in that time. But in verse 34, it says that Elijah went up and lay on the child. And he put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became, became warm. But it doesn't bring him back to life. And so, I don't know, this is, this is just a weird picture to me. Like, what is the significance of Elisha, like, laying on the child like this? Hand to hand, mouth to mouth, eye to eye. Like, we have CPR, right? But you, you don't lay like this on the person to give them CPR. So, what is, what is going on here? And you look at the way God, God performs miracles in other people's lives, and there's other weird things that happen, Right? Why does he tell Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River, the dirty Jordan River, seven times? Why does Jesus put some dirt in that blind man's eye and mix it with some spit and go tell him to go wash it off? Like, he didn't have to do that. We see Jesus, by his word, he, he, raises the, he heals the centurion's son, right? He said, go home, your son is healed because of the centurion's faith. And uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda, he, he picks him up, right? He just says, take up your bed and walk. And the man believes, takes up his bed and walk. And in each of these, it wasn't just something super simple. Like, it required faith. But in that way, it's pretty simple. So why do you have to do all this extra stuff? Have you asked why God isn't answering the prayer in the way that you want it, in the timeline that you want it, because you, you, hopefully you believe that God is capable of answering your prayers, right? Shouldn't that, shouldn't that be all it takes? Just some faith? Why can't it just be simple? You know, 
As I mentioned in my testimony last time I spoke, I've been asking God to reveal to me my career. What do you want me to do, God? For years, from the time that I was a senior in high school and I seriously started to think about it, I've been asking God to show me what he wants me to do. And I felt like maybe it should be theology. And so I went. And after the first year, I was... I wasn't sure. And so then I was like, God, like, I'll give this a chance. Please just make it clear to me, at least by the time I start interviews, so that I can be confident when I'm interviewing with all these different conferences. I get to the interviews, and I'm, I'm still not sure. I'm like, God, like, graduation is coming around the corner. Please reveal to me what it is you want me to do. And I graduate. And I still don't know. And so then I take a year off to try to figure things out. And I'm like, God, please reveal to me what you want me to do in this, in this year. That I take time off, that I explore my different skills. Please show me what you want me to do. I still don't know. And now I'm here in Hawaii. I'm saying, God, please reveal to me in Hawaii as I do this this pastoral training program, what it is you want me to do. <clears throat> As of yet, I can't say that I have a clear answer. And so, you know, I'm wondering, right? We, we ask and, and we believe that God is going to do this for us, but for some reason, it's, it's not happening. But by contemplating all these all these different stories that I've mentioned, the, the stories where God, God uses different methods to reveal his power, <clears throat> I've realized that the objects and, and the actions, yeah, they, they don't themselves have the power. That's not where the power lies. But they bring out an earnest prayer in me. It brings me to the end of myself, and, and I say, like, God, like, I'm doing all these things. Like I'm, I'm going out there, I'm cutting hair for the homeless, I'm, I'm doing all these photo shoots and, and I'm meeting all these cool people and, and trying to minister to them. I'm going to these car meets and, and meeting cool people and I even invited some people to, to uh, church and some of them came for ministry, outreach ministry. Like I'm doing all these things, I'm doing all that I can. And yet I still don't know what it is you want me to do. So I'm doing as much as I can, even though I know that's not going to produce the answer. And I'm leaving the rest to you. Like, I don't have the power to know what I can do. But you do. You have the power to reveal to me what it is. And so Elisha, right, he stretches out two times. So the first time it doesn't work, the child just becomes warm. Verse 35 says that Elisha returned, and he walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. So Elisha sends Gehazi with the staff. It doesn't work. And then he stretches out once. It doesn't work. And the second time he stretches out, it works. Elijah, when he was praying for rain, he had to send the messenger out seven times before he got an answer. 
Naaman, he had to dip seven times in the Jordan before he was healed. Sometimes we have to do these, these different acts. We have to pray these earnest prayers multiple times. Because only then can we get to the place where we fully depend on God. We're able to leave it in his hands. But that doesn't always mean that you're going to get the answered prayer request that you want. Right? Jesus, when he was in Gethsemane, that was an earnest prayer. An earnest prayer that I'm thankful God didn't answer. What did he say? Lord, take this cup from me. This is more than I can bear, Father. I, I don't know if I can handle this. Please take this cup from me. But what did he say after? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus didn't want to drink that cup. He didn't want to have to make that sacrifice. It felt like too much. He wasn't sure. But he knew that the Father had everything in control. Everything was in his hands. And he said, Lord, as much as I don't want this, I'm leaving it in your hands. And he had, not unfortunately, fortunately, he had to drink that cup. But you notice through this story, through the journey to Calvary, Jesus has this confidence. Like he was so shaken, he could barely stand in Gethsemane because he was so afraid. And then he endured all the mocking, all the spitting, all the beating, all everything. He endured everything so humbly all the way to the cross because he knew that it was in the Father's hands. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How many of you genuinely believe that? This is, this is such a common verse. You've, you've probably heard this verse so many times, but how many of you actually genuinely believe that all things work together for good. You might be going through, or you may have gone through something so difficult in your life, and you don't understand it. But have you gotten to the place where you know, through earnest prayer, that everything is in God's hands and it will work together for good? So the sun is raised through Elisha's earnest prayers. And then there was a little, little thought in my mind. Okay, why, why even go through this whole process in the first place? What's the point of this story? Obviously, we learn about earnest prayer. But there's something that turns out to be an even greater blessing for the women. In 2 Kings chapter 8, a few chapters away, Elisha spoke, speaks to this woman Whose, whose son he restored, she restored, he restored. And he tells her to, to get out of her house because a famine was coming. And so she goes and lives with the Philistines in, in, in the land of the Philistines. 
And after seven years, she comes back. And she has to make an appeal to the king for, to, to get her house and her land back. And it's funny because at the same time that she's go, going there, Gehazi's there and he's talking with the king. And the king asks Gehazi to tell him all the things that Elisha has done. And, and Gehazi is telling the king about how Elisha gave this Shunammite woman, through God, a son. And when that son died, he brought that son back to life. And as he's telling this story, guess who walks in? The Shunammite woman walks in. And Gehazi is like, look, that's her. That's the woman I've been telling you about. That's the woman whose son was raised. And the king, hearing that, gives the woman back her land and everything, everything that she owned. All things work together for good. So your earnest prayer has to make you leave everything in God's hands. And in doing so, it will reveal to you just how much you need God. So my dad likes to tell people the story of how I came to be. Because my mom had two miscarriages, right? And my dad, he came from a family of, he had five sisters. Yeah. And he was the sixth child. So he was he was the last kid, and he was the son. And so my dad wanted a son. And he prayed so earnestly that God would give a son. And like they say, third time's the charm, right? <laughs> he prayed for a son. And when he found out that my mom was pregnant, he immediately knew that this was going to be a son. And he said, I'm going to name him Jeremiah. And people are like, oh, you don't, how, how do you know? What if it's a girl? And even my mom said, what if it's a girl? What are we going to name him? And my dad was like, no, this is going to be a son. And we are naming him Jeremiah. And lo and behold, here I am. If it wasn't for those miscarriages... I don't know if I'd, I'd be standing here before you guys. And probably won't ever fully understand why those miscarriages happened, why we had, my family had to go through that pain. But I know I'm standing here. Because of God. I'm standing here today with a handful of talents, an abundance of wonderful, encouraging people in my life. A boatload of fun, fun adventures. Going to Ireland this Wednesday. 
with, with my family for a week. So it's going to be fun. I've, I've gone to so many different places. It's, it's been a blessing, all these adventures. And I have this opportunity to serve God in ministry. It's all because of God. So what's holding you back? What's holding you back from experiencing your need for God? Are you struggling to have this confidence in his power and, and what he's capable of doing because to you it just seems so impossible? Are there people in your life who are disturbing your earnest prayers? Or are you the person that's been a disturbance to someone's earnest prayers? Are you hesitating on leaving everything in God's hands? You have to realize it's not about the stick. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what's possible to you. It's not about what you have in your hand. You have to pray earnestly. Bring out that confidence in God's power. Don't let the half-heartedness of other people, the doubts, the skeptics, don't let them disturb your prayers. And pray so earnestly that you're able to leave everything in God's hands. Because you can't do it. And with that type of earnest prayer, you will understand just how much you need God. That's all that matters. We need God. We don't need God to answer our prayer requests. We don't need God to give us what we want. We just need God. When we depend on him with everything in us, you and I, we can live in confidence knowing that God and not me, not you, has everything under control. Father, thank you so much that you have everything in under, under control, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we fail to be confident in your power. Forgive us for the times where we let the doubters get to us. Forgive us for the times that we try to take everything in our own hands, try to take control instead of giving it all to you. And Lord, I pray that you'll awaken an earnestness in each of us here today, that our prayer lives will be more earnest, more real, more authentic, not half-hearted, and that we will always, always recognize our need for you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support this ministry with your time, treasure, or talent, please visit our website at kaneohesda.org. 
Have a blessed rest of your day.